0: Hi, and you're very welcome to my podcast show, Technologies Impacting Society. In this podcast, I got to speak with Dr. Sean Healy of Social Justice Ireland. Sean is the director of Social Justice Ireland. It was back in 2017 when we first spoke. Fast forward now to 2021, and there's never been a bigger and greater need of universal basic income post-corona and with a new data economy emerging. Social Justice Ireland is an independent think-tank and justice advocacy organisation that seeks to build a just society. They provide independent social analysis and evidence-based policy proposals with the aim of creating a sustainable future for every member of society and for societies as a whole. In all of this, there's a focus on human rights and the common good. Social Justice Ireland is one of Ireland's most esteemed social justice NGOs whose commentary and analysis, particularly of government policies, is highly respected. Basic income is the idea that all citizens of a country receive a set amount of money on a regular basis. This money is typically provided by the government or a similar public or organisation. The idea promotes unconditional payments of this basic income without means testing or work requirement. I caught up with Dr Sean Healy recently about his work on basic income.
1: Dr Sean Healy, I'm director of Social Justice Ireland and Social Justice Ireland is uh, an independent think tank and a justice advocacy organisation made up of individuals and groups throughout Ireland who are committed to working to build a just society. And they see a just society as being one where human rights are protected, human dignity is respected, human development is facilitated, and the environment is respected and protected. We um, have had a strong interest in basic income for more than three decades now. We have produced many studies, we have produced full costings for basic income for Ireland and we have done that on quite a number of occasions. We've also designed pathways for a basic income to be implemented in Ireland. Obviously, methodologies we use for Ireland can be applied to any country in the world, either in terms of calculating what's possible for a basic income payment or uh, what's possible in terms of pathways to implementation.
0: Why is basic income such a hot topic at the moment?
1: Well I think there's a number of things that have happened, I suppose in one way these were things that we were forecasting but uh, it's interesting that they have come to pass. For example, the whole digital revolution and artificial intelligence and the emergence of this sort of new technology, if you like, shows that a great many jobs that used to be done by people can now be done or can very soon be done by machines or by artificial intelligence in one form or another. And um, Unlike the past where this was seen as a liberation because of the fact that new technology, for example, meant that very heavy work, uh, physical work, could be done by machines and that was seen as liberation for people who had to do it, nowadays we're talking about situations where jobs that were not considered to be physically demanding now actually coming becoming part of this new world of work if you like and there's also another development it isn't just the jobs of poor people or people who are vulnerable that are now at risk or that are changing because there are situations for example where people like accountants and various other kinds of things that are middle class are seen as middle class jobs if you like these have started to recede in number as the technology and the artificial intelligence and so on gets ahead of what people can do consequently the number of jobs goes down and this is likely to happen on a whole range of fronts we're seeing it for example with cars motorized transport not requiring people to drive them anymore and so on so uh, what we're looking at is a whole changing world of work and that that change is impacting not just poor and vulnerable people but middle class people as well so that's one major area the second reason why it's coming is that the world of work as we know it has evolved from a situation where people had jobs that they had for a lifetime paying what was seen as a family wage and uh, where they had security of tenure and so on to a situation now where no very few jobs in the world have those qualities those characteristics a great but a great many people are employed in, in jobs that are precarious, they're part-time, or uh, they're seasonal. There's no guarantee of minimum number of hours to be worked in a, in a particular week or whatever. So we are seeing the emergence uh, of a very large proportion of the population having low pay. So for example, something that the Ar- Ireland and the United States have in common is that they are two of the three countries in the world with the highest percentage of low-paid workers. The United States is just slightly worse than Ireland. Ireland is um, is at 24 point whatever, depending on when you measure it, and the United States is at 25 percent. So a quarter, if you like, of all jobs are low-paid jobs in those situations. So in that kind of world of precarious work, low pay, and so on, it's not a surprise that people look around. They see growing economies they see a world that is far richer than it was before that has the potential and more than enough resources to ensure everybody can live life with dignity and what they look at is they see okay we need to do something about this Now they have tried that there have been quite an amount of uh, there has been quite an amount of work done on issues like minimum wage and so on and that's very welcome. However it, it doesn't solve the whole problem because not everybody has a job. So there are issues on, you know, of that kind that are that have emerged, and they're just two of the reasons. Um, there's a whole lot of other reasons, of course, why basic income is coming up as well. One of them, be coming at it from the other end completely, is uh, from a values perspective, and this is this would be one of the things that we would believe. Everybody should have sufficient uh, resource to live life with dignity, and that should apply to everybody on the planet. We have more than enough resource to ensure that everybody on the planet has enough to live life with dignity. And I think that we need to start thinking along those kinds of lines. And I think a lot of people are doing that and they see basic income as a key component of the solution here. Now, obviously it's not the only component, but it's a major part of the solution, of the building of a better future where people's well-being is at the center of what it's all about. The question that I think more and more people are asking is what's the point of the economy? I mean, is the economy an end in itself? And I would say no. And I think more and more people Realize that. Uh, and what's the purpose? The purpose is to, I think, uh, ensure that people's well being and society's well being in this and future generations, not just this generation, future generations as well, is uh, secured and that that well being is secured. And uh, that involves. In having to address issues like sustainability and environmental I- impacts and climate change and all of those kinds of issues as well as as ensuring that the resources are there and not just the resources and that people have enough resources but that they also have a say in shaping the decisions that affect them and so on that's the kind of framework if you like of our nexus of ideas and a lot more in between those that have been that have come together, if you like, at this moment in history. And I do think we're at a major moment of change in history, that the future is going to be quite different to the present, and that basic income is part of the future. How
0: does this differ from, say, Social Security?
1: It differs profoundly from Social Security, because Social Security is a system that is built on a premise. And the premise is that there will be full employment, that everybody who seeks a job will have access to to decent work and good pay. Now, that is a promise that has been held out to workers and to society and to the world and to, particularly today, to poor countries and for decades being held out by the, by Western countries and uh, to, to poorer countries. But no Western country has been able to deliver it itself. No Western country has delivered full employment on a permanent basis. We get waves and from time to time there can be a moment when there's close to full employment. but. The reality is that there's always substantial numbers of people unemployed. Now, in a situation where we're heading towards rising unemployment, then I think we need to face up to the fact that social security isn't going to work for these people. Not alone that, in, in recent decades, there's been a change in how social security is dealt with. And we have seen the emergence of a new kind of oppressive approach coming from a sort of a neoliberal perspective. And I don't use that in a pejorative sense, I just use it in an analytical sense. There's a particular perspective on the world that uh, a lot of governments have, uh, are driven by at the moment, and they see people who are unemployed as problems that need to be addressed, and they, they see the problem as caused by the person who's unemployed, not by the fact that the new technology is reducing the number of jobs or whatever. And I have seen quite an amount of, of initiatives in Ireland and in other places where there has been very oppressive action taken against people who, because they're unemployed, even though there are no jobs for them to fill. Different stunts have been used and different games get played in that sort of space. But it's important, I think, to face up to the fact that there won't be jobs for everybody, for the foreseeable future, for the life in the lifetime of anybody who listens to this podcast. No, there will not be full employment. And consequently, we need to recognize that everybody has a right to work, but that there won't be jobs to fill that. We've we've basically been promising people there'll be jobs to, to meet their right to work. Now we're recognizing that, if we're honest... That there won't be jobs to meet everybody's right to work but those people still have a right to work so how do you deal with that and i think the challenge that that societies now face is to recognize that there's a lot of work being done which is very important for society and very important for communities and for families. And that's community work, work in the community that's done for for no charge by lots of people who are working in community development and community support of one kind or another, but also a great deal of work that's done in caring, caring for children, caring for people with disabilities, people who are ill, caring for people who are elderly, all of that, those kinds of, that type of work, all of it perfectly valid work. There's also work being done in the support of, we say, parts of the community. For example, people who coach sports teams, great many of them being coached by people on a voluntary basis, that's very good work. But it isn't actually recognized as work in the way we talk about work in the Western world. We say, what do you work at? What we're really saying is not what work do you do, but really what job do you have? and we don't recognize as meaningful work anything for which we're not paid. And with due respect to the people who have put that together, is daft it is just plain stupid because you couldn't run a society today without great swathes of unpaid work being done that unpaid work is important it is valuable it is good work and it should be recognized if it were recognized we would see that There's work there for everybody, more than enough work for everybody at all stages of their lives, appropriate to their age and so on, and their situation and their capacity and their ability and their qualifications and so on. And the the issue then is how do we develop our society so that everybody can access meaningful work? And at the moment, we don't have a methodology for doing that because we simply say the only work that counts is paid jobs and we will pay you, you'll get paid for or doing a paid, for taking your paid employment. We don't get supported for anything else except you're waiting for paid employment. Uh, so we're saying we need to change this. And the quid pro quo, the, what's required to balance out the work change is the introduction of a basic income. So if you put a basic income under everybody, it doesn't have to be elaborate, it doesn't have to be too high, but it's sufficient to live life with dignity, then you suddenly change this ball game. You change the whole situation. Everybody then has the capacity to take up meaningful work that we talked about a moment ago, even if there aren't paid jobs there, but they would also have a basic income that would be a floor underneath them. Now, would that would people suddenly start leaving all the jobs? And this, of course not. Why? Because basic income is not a high amount of money. It's just a basic amount. And people will, at different stages of their lives, need a lot more money. For example, if they're setting up a family, uh, or if they're setting up as a couple, of, uh, trying to uh, rent a house, purchase accommodation, whatever. Uh, setting up the f- uh, family, having children, providing for their education, providing for their support, and so on. So, uh, I think what you what we can see is that at different points in people's lives, their uh, costs are high. They're high to the state, and they're they're high to the people themselves. And that people will actually, obviously, take up paid employment to supplement the basic income, but they would always have the basic income underneath. The basic income would actually be universal. It would be paid to all men and women, which is big pluses of basic income is that it treats men and women equally and they both get the same payment and there's no sort of person who gets a payment and then there's a qualifying adult attached to that person that uh, so many of the welfare systems we have uh, operate on. That's not the case in basic income. Everybody gets the basic payment, and I think that's a very big plus as well. So we can see a changing world of work. We need to ensure that everybody's right to work is respected There's a pathway for doing that, there's ways we can do it, but it involves moving beyond paid employment and recognising other meaningful work. However, to ensure that there's enough income there for people to be able to travel that route and have it as a real option, they need a basic income. A basic income needs to be put into place in that situation. That basic income needs to be universal, and it can be paid for, as we have shown over and over again. Over the last uh, two decades, we have shown that uh, in a country like Ireland, a uh, full basic income can in fact be introduced and it's not just us and our research that's saying that in 2002 the Irish government published a green paper having looked at this in great detail and came to the conclusion that it was possible uh, to introduce basic income in Ireland and that from within the available resources that were there without any great additional expenditure. It might be a small amount of adjustments over a few years and we would certainly be recommending some adjustments but nothing dramatic and it is possible to pay for. So you you have a, basically a system currently that isn't working, and it is actually disintegrating, leading to large divisions getting wider in society, and in many ways broken societies emerging. And Those not being not, broken societies are not just bad for, for vulnerable people, broken societies are bad for business. So the economy generally and the society generally needs some kind of alternative, and we're saying, look at the issue of work respect people's right to meaningful work, think it through in a more radical way, ensure that you build a new system where there is meaningful work for everybody, which is doable, and then put a basic income system into place to ensure that everybody has enough income to live life with dignity and make that universal and uh, make sure that everybody has it. Obviously, there'll be a bit more for older people, less for children in the way we have it structured, but that's, that's the way we proceed. By the way, uh, all, all the things I'm talking about and the publications and research and so on that we've that I've just mentioned is available on our website, which is socialjustice.ie. The organisation, Social Justice Ireland. So socialjustice.ie. Just type in basic income into the uh, sort of search, and you'll find mountains of material, including um, the castings and the arguments for, and uh, publications and videos and all sorts of things that will help people to sort of tease out the implications of what we're talking about.
0: Using Ireland as an example. How ready or set up are we for basic income?
1: Uh, It depends on what that question means. Uh, Does it have the capacity to do it? Yes, Ireland could do it. Is it politically ready to do it? No, the government is not this moment looking at it. The government is messing around with what it thinks is a solution uh, to the pension problem that we have because Ireland's older population is growing very rapidly. Despite the fact that, uh, that there's endless studies to show that the approach they're taking will not give everybody a decent pension, they're still persisting with it. I think that will only last for a certain amount of time when people see through it and we have a new kind of resurgence of... Negativity from ordinary people, if you like, who feel that you have a situation in in a country like Ireland where there is great respect for the financial services class and for the banking class and so on people like that who have actually abused their position dramatically got ireland into an awful situation that we crashed out out into in 10 years ago almost 10 years ago we had a financial meltdown and a financial crash we had to rescue banks we had the biggest bank crash of any country in the whole world ever we have had to world um, Financial elites, the the groups involved, the Irish, the International Monetary Fund, the European Central Bank, principally, and the European Commission, insisted that Ireland pay back 100% of the money that was necessary to rescue the banks and to pay back all bondholders and so on. We're the only country in the world in which that uh, assistance was made. Subsequently, those rules were changed by the Germans and the French in the European Union. But, of course, they had rescued their own investors in the Irish banks, who had been very substantial. There had been substantial german and french investment in the in the irish banks so they rescue that 100%, and then the Irish taxpayer had to pay it all back, and then they went and they gave better terms to other countries. Not alone that, they insisted that we travel a particular way in resolving it, which in, was unnecessary. They, it increased on unemployment dramatically. It has shown now to be, has, has been shown now to have been unnecessarily oppressive and de- very seriously damaging to Irish people. The result is that there is a very serious uh, alienation, if you like, between a great many Irish people and uh, political parties, uh, the main political parties, and government. And the result is that the government that brought in that bailout and all of that, uh, or, sorry, that, that went through with it and, and implemented it, uh, were thrown out of the last election in the sense that they lost half, the, almost half the seats they had in, in, in Parliament. And I think about half of the seats they lost them. And they're in a the minority government now. And I suspect that uh, that's partly, that's in a major way due to the fact that people are very sceptical. About these things now and very skeptical about the commitments of politicians and very skeptical usually skeptical about uh, the objectivity and fairness of international institutions such as particularly european central bank which in ireland is seen as as an extremely oppressive um, body and the european commission uh, which betrayed ireland really uh, at the time of the crash, because it was the business, it is the business of the European Commission in, a, in an operation like the European Union, that kind of structure. It's the business of the European Commission to protect the vulnerable, and not alone were there vulnerable people in Ireland, huge numbers of them, but their results. Ireland itself is a very small country by European standards, and we were hugely exploited uh, by uh, Europeans, the European institutions in that, in that space. I think that the IMF actually may have changed its view on all of this since, since the time of the Irish bailout and I think they would probably admit now that they didn't get it, they, that they got it wrong, basically. They certainly didn't, were hugely positive about doing the same thing again. But the reality is that we have a problem in Ireland with scepticism by most people. So therefore, an issue like basic income is going to take some time. People are very, I suppose, untrusting. They don't trust politicians, they don't trust institutions and they're in a very hurt state, if you like. Okay, they've had a very, very serious um, time, if you like, over the last decade. A great many people are still struggling with decisions that were made by banks that are now seen to be illegal. For example, changing the rates that they were paying for their mortgages at and doing so illegally. And the banks are now being forced. Well, they're officially being forced, at least by government, to. In that and deal with it, but we'll see whether that works out or not. If those kinds of if those kinds of things the government is insisting on were actually to work out, then people might start to have a great a bit more confidence in the future. However, what I'm why I'm telling you all of that story is that that's in the foreground in Ireland. And that's part of the reason that people aren't taking a closer look at the longer term implications of the changing world of work and the changing world of income distribution and jobs and pay for jobs and so on Uh, but I think that it's only a matter of time before these things come back on the agenda again. As against that there is very good awareness in Ireland of basic income and there's a good basic income uh, movement in Ireland and there's basic income Ireland is is an organisation network that uh, meets regularly and organises events and has a lot of people uh, who are very committed to basic income itself. Ireland hosted the World Congress on basic income in 2008 so we're coming up to the, to a decade, and uh, I think we might uh, do some take some action in 2018 to mark the 10th anniversary of that and try to start the idea of basic income and get it get it a higher profile in Ireland. Myself, having worked for more than 30 years in, in this kind of policy area of budgets and government and uh, various choices that have to be made and... The world of work and income distribution and so on, I'd be very convinced that uh, basic income is, is the best solution available at the moment and that uh, we will move in that direction in the not too distant future.
0: The idea of basic income is not a new one. There's been talk about the pros and cons of such a system for many years. Thank you for listening to my podcast. For more information, you can go check out my website www.inaom.io slash audio where you can subscribe to my podcast show on a number of platforms don't forget also to check out my facebook group technologies impacting society where you can find lots of material on how technologies are impacting our society today